J.C. Ryle was a highly respected 19th century Anglican bishop. And in his classic book on holiness, he made this comment. The man who is content to sit ignorantly by his own fireside, wrapped up in his own private affairs, and has no public eye for what is going on in the church and the world, is a miserable patriot and a poor style of Christian. Well, I agree with Ryle, and it's because I want to be a true patriot and a faithful Christian that I stand before you this afternoon, concerned about the things that are going on in our nation and in the churches that I'm involved with. The sector of evangelicalism that I participate in mostly is the Southern Baptist Convention, as Mike mentioned. And I have been a pastor in that denomination for over 40 years. I've also been the president of Founders Ministries for many of its 36 years. I helped to found that organization. Its purpose is to preserve the gospel and recover the gospel where it's been lost and to work for the biblical health and reformation of local congregations. What I've come to understand in my years serving as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there's an inevitable relationship between the church and the world. And that relationship, when it goes well, can be mutually beneficial. But when it goes sour, it can be mutually disastrous. The Christian church's relationship to the world is much like the relationship of a ship to the ocean. When a ship is in the ocean, going as it is supposed to, it can accomplish great good. It can do what it's designed to do and fulfill its purpose. But when the ocean gets into the ship, you've got problems. And if that's not stopped, soon it can lead to catastrophic disaster. The last few years we have seen the ocean of the world begin to swamp the ship of the Christian church. So much so that the church is in danger of being capsized in many of its evangelical expressions. That's already happened in many mainline denominations in our nation, and today it is threatening evangelicalism, including the Southern Baptist Convention, of which I am a part. Well, how has this happened? Now, there are a variety of ways to answer that question and to look at it from different angles. However, in the interest of time, let me simply say that I believe in the devil. And I believe that the devil is a schemer. And that as the Bible says, power and influence has been given to him and his demons in order to impact the way that this world works. They have influence over institutions and systems and have had throughout history. And sometime in their designs to destroy the work of Jesus Christ, they have stirred up societies to outright persecute the followers of Jesus Christ. But other times they have been far more subtle in their efforts. They've sought to influence and direct the church away from its God-given responsibilities. And I think that's precisely the play that is being made on us in this generation. The devil has effectively enticed many churches to welcome godless ideologies into their environs. And he's done it through the Trojan horse of what is commonly called social justice. In the name of racial reconciliation, honoring women, showing love and respect for the sexually confused, evangelicals are welcoming in ways of thinking that undermine the very teachings of the Word of God. Teachings which, if they were followed, actually promote true love and true justice through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
in the Southern Baptist Convention, we claim to have 15 million members of our churches. We are the largest and arguably the most influential Protestant denomination in the nation. And yet we are failing miserably in the spiritual warfare we face. As a result, we are being led astray and are becoming derelict in our duty to be the church in the world for the world. And instead, we're more and more becoming the church of the world, failing the world. Theologian Kevin Van Hooser has wisely noted that pastors and churches today must particularly brace ourselves for spiritual warfare. For, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, matters in motion, but against isms, against the powers that seek to name and control reality. That's precisely what I see happening today in many evangelical churches. There are godless ideologies that have spread throughout Western civilization in recent years, and they've done so with a vengeance, an agenda to name and control reality. In other words, to convince us of what we're supposed to be seeing, and then to identify those things that we're supposed to see and demand that we reorder our lives on the basis of that supposed new reality. The foremost ism that Christians in the West are facing today is cultural Marxism. This is an adaptation of classical Marxism from an economic theory to a cultural and social one. As you know, I'm sure classical Marxism regarded class conflict between the haves and the have-nots as the mechanism whereby there would be revolution so that those who desire power could attain power. Cultural Marxism views such conflict as between oppressors and the oppressed, those who already have privilege and those without privilege who ought to have it. The working class has been replaced by minorities. Majority groups are defined as privileged and oppressed, oppressive, and minority groups are regarded as underprivileged and oppressed. What this means is that white men or male heterosexual cisgendered Men, males, are the majority groups, and therefore they are inherently oppressive. And those who do not fit into such majority groups are the minorities, and therefore, according to the cultural Marxist scheme, they're oppressed. The agenda of this ism is the overthrow of these oppressive groups and to deconstruct the structures of power that they see that keep them in their place. And this is all being proposed in the name of love and compassion for the oppressed. The ideology is fully on display in our political system, as well as on our college campuses throughout our nation. It's seen in everything from the innocent-sounding diversity departments that are now a multi-billion dollar industry in our land, all the way to violent silencing of those heretics who dare to question the orthodoxy of this new way of thinking. The worldview to which this ideology has given rise has rapidly swept across our culture in such a way that it is becoming the predominant worldview among the rising generations. In other words, the Judeo-Christian worldview, which many of the older generations of Americans grew up with, is long gone. And pollsters have been telling us this was the case for many years. They have, however, miscalculated as to what has arisen in the place of this Judeo-Christian worldview. They've told us about the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, 
those who check none when they are asked for their religious preference. Last December, in the religion news, there was an article that claims nuns now comprise 35% of the American populace. But when you look at those 45 years old and younger, that percentage rises up to 45. Most have interpreted this increase of the nuns as the rise of secularization in America, but I think that is a mistaken analysis. What we are witnessing is the rapid rise of a new religion. And rather than recognizing it for what it is, more and more evangelicals are confusing it with what they think is a better form of Christianity. So rather than exposing it and refuting it, they are welcoming and promoting it with the result that Christians sitting in churches are being led astray and Christian virtues are being displaced by worldly values. Last year in the National Review, an article said this, it was foolish for anyone to believe that a less Christian America would be a less religious America. Traditional Christianity and Judaism aren't just being removed from American life, they're being replaced. And if pastors do not soon wake up and recognize what is happening, we will leave our congregants ill-prepared to stand for and defend the gospel. We must forcefully reject this new religion with all of its presuppositions, with all of its critical theories and assessments. And we cannot simply ignore it. We cannot regard it as incidental or insignificant as long as we're free to preach the gospel and just let it go by. To stand against this new religion, we must expose it as an all-out assault on biblical Christianity. And we must refute it and accurately teach God's word against it by proclaiming the simplicity and the fullness that is in Jesus Christ. In this new religion, spawned by cultural Marxism, the authority of God's word is dismissed when it contradicts the new mission of deconstructing historic Christianity. In this new religion, God's sovereign authority in creating the world with various hierarchies and boundaries that he's ordained is rejected in the name of equality. Orthodoxy is political correctness. So you must toe the line or else be branded a heretic. In the new religion, holiness is accrued by the number of victim statuses that you can claim for yourself. And if you don't have any or don't have many, then the only way you can pursue holiness is by becoming an ally with those who have various victim statuses. Conversion or being born again in the new religion is becoming awakened to cultural Marxist categories or in the language of the religion, becoming woke. Original sin is privilege, the most notable of which is white privilege. Well, this new pagan religion is making vast inroads into evangelical churches. In the SBC, we have both elected and appointed leaders who have argued for and promoted tenets of this new faith. For example, Eric Mason has written a book calling for a new movement which he labels Woke Church. In his book, he advocates viewing the world and viewing the mission of the church through lenses that come from cultural Marxism, though he himself might never see it that way. 
He argues that the church must be busy righting the wrongs that we see in society so that we can gain access to people's hearts. But that gets it exactly wrong according to the New Testament commission of the church. We're to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples so that those who are being discipled can be the light of the world. And those who know Christ can address the wrongs in the world and impact it with truth and righteousness. Last August, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, whose president is Russell Moore, released an official ERLC video arguing for animal rights as a pro-life issue. Listen to what was said. Non-human animals are also voiceless, vulnerable, pushed to the margin because they are inconvenient, just like prenatal children are. Now, in fairness, when I saw the video and called attention to it and decried the lunacy of it, they took it down quickly. And then after a while, they issued an apology and said, well, this video should never have gone out. It was an intern's mistake to publish it. And that may well be true. But my question is this, why in the world does the ethics arm of the largest Protestant denomination in America even have such a video on file? It's because the categories are being confused. The boundaries are being removed. Jarvis Williams is a professor of New Testament at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He has urged every evangelical to read Critical Race Theory by Richard Delgado. He's called this book a necessary book because evangelicals still tend to be decades behind on critical race discussions. Well, Delgado's book is indeed eye-opening. Early on, it openly admits that critical race theory is based on and grows out of radical feminism. Delgado goes on to say that they have built upon the insights of the Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci and deconstructionist philosopher Jacques Derrida. Well, friends, one cannot follow Gramsci and Derrida and follow Jesus Christ. They are incompatible. As Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. We have failed to heed the warnings of the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church at Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What we desperately need is a biblical revival and reformation, a thorough biblical reordering of our lives as evangelical churches in this nation. The only hope for this nation is that God will grant such reformation and revival through the movement of His Spirit that will result in deep repentance over our sins and turning away from God, a renouncing of our foolishness and rebellion against Him and the authority of His Word, and a humble return to honoring Jesus as Lord. That's our only hope. But it's a great hope and a real hope. Because as the prophet Micah tells us, our God delights in mercy. He loves to show mercy. We need mercy. So it's right to pray and expect that God would delight himself in giving us what we need. Friends, the good ship evangelicalism and SBC has been severely damaged and it's in danger of being capsized by the deadly philosophies of this new paganism. If we don't stand against it and the godless ideologies it is spawning, 
then we will see more and more of our agencies and institutions overrun with this, and they will become increasingly instruments in the hands of our enemy to work against the gospel that we say we believe. It's time to repair the ship. Then and only then will, by God's grace, the church in America return to its proper place, influencing this nation for righteousness as it calls upon everyone to bow before Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you.